the, uh, we are in the, in the series on Ephesians uh, here walking through the book. Uh, the theme of Ephesians has been God has redeemed us to be the church, a community of love for his glory. And we have basically been for the last several weeks, I've been listening to some of the past sermons, talking about really the theological background of how God established his church and especially the multi-ethnic church bringing together in one church all people. Sadly, uh, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour uh, of the calendar, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. Uh, and uh, sadly, in our city, there's very few multi-ethnic churches. A lot of people like the idea, uh, but people still prefer to worship, I think, in their own, uh, with their own kind of people. And I feel like at Providence, uh, if we are trying to go a different direction. So I don't know if you can tell by the music, you can tell by the languages, all of that. We are trying to give an expression of the kingdom of God in which all people can be together. So the first uh, three chapters are laying out the theological foundation for that. The last three chapters are saying, okay, then how is it actually lived out? And so this sermon is the pivot point moving from the belief system into the behaviors. And I have entitled uh, my sermon this morning, You Have a Gifted Body. Uh, you have a gifted body. So, yeah, <laughs> that, is, that should be good news to everybody. How many of you think you have a gifted body? Raise your hand. Raheel thinks he has a gifted body. All right, I told him that this morning. He asked me for my title. So, um, I don't know if you guys saw this in 2014, but this is the famous photo called the Hot Felon. Uh, Jeremy Meeks is his name, and he was arrested in Stockton, California, a member of the Crips gang. And uh, this mugshot, they put it up on the police page. And instead of people hating on that picture, 75,000 people ended up liking that picture. 10,000 people shared it. And there were about 20,000 really mushy comments uh, on that mugshot. And people really didn't care what he did. He now has gone on to uh, a modeling career. He is, has a net worth of $5 million. Um, he had a gifted body, right? He, he uh, was able to use that for his advantage, and he wants to ditch the moniker of the hot felon, but I'm like, man, you should play that as long as you can. Um, but by the time we're done today, I want you to be able to walk out and say, I have a gifted body. But it won't be a hot felon uh, idea of a gifted body. It's Paul's idea of a gifted body. And as uh, Monica read our passage... The first part of this, this, uh, these 16 verses is really saying that we are to walk worthy of our calling in the body of Christ. To walk worthy of our calling. Why does Paul say this? Because um, he's laid the foundation. He said, we have called you. We've established the church. The church is the expression of the one new humanity. Hunter wrapped that up with saying, and the spirit of God now lives inside of us and can do above and beyond what we could ask or think. This is the body you've been born into. This is the identity you have. Now walk like it. Literally, that means to bring up the other beam of the scale. Chapters 1 through 3, God is loading down one side of the scale with the identity that we have as believers in his church, empowered by the Spirit, forgiven and redeemed and called. And he's saying, now it's your turn to sit there and walk worthy of that. You're to balance out the other side of that scale. 
If you've been in church long enough, this is where the preacher starts getting into, now you better start behaving. You better stop smoking, drinking, chewing, and going with girls that do kind of sermons, right? Like walk worthy. In other words, be spotless from the world is what the normal sermon would be. But this is not Paul's sermon. Paul is saying uh, it's not necessarily all the things that you were doing that you should stop doing. He's actually talking about you need to develop a godly character. He says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. So it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's actually the way you walk worthy of the calling is you start actually fundamentally, first thing it says is be humble. What does that mean? I esteem other people better than myself. I automatically walk into a room and think about the well-being of others instead of the well-being of myself. I'm gentle. This is the idea of a tamed animal. A tamed animal. It's not somebody that doesn't have passion. It's just somebody who gets passionate and angry at the right times and never gets passionate and angry at the wrong times. Right? If you train a dog to be a watchdog, they need to get angry at the right time and they need to not get angry at your friends, right? That's the idea here is that we are gentle with one another. We're patient. This uh, harkens from literature where it talked about when your city was under siege, people would actually plant turnips. And that what they did when they planted the turnips is the hope that it, they would eventually be able to eat those before they finally were overtaken by the adversary. You know, when you enter into a body of people, I don't know if there is a more uh, precious uh, character trait that we can uphold with one another than this idea of patience. I've been a pastor now for 26 years, and I've realized I don't change very fast, and people in the church don't change very fast. It takes a long time for humans to grow. And if you're not patient, you'll bounce and bounce from church to church trying to find the perfect, the perfect family. You're going to try to be the perfect person. You're going to be really hard on yourself. But truly, uh, none of us change very fast. Be patient and bear with one another. It means I'm going to hold up the hurts of other people. And he says, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We ought to be unity warriors in this church means the moment you hear someone talk negatively about another person, you got to stop it. We, we're not going to let somebody attack the unity of the body. Why? Because this reflects God. He enters into this uh, thing in verse 4. He says, there is one body, one spirit. I call it the, the sevenfold oneness, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And now we are to be the one church, the one body that images God. <clears throat> so this is, by the way, uh, this is the time he actually reverses um, the Trinitarian order that's normally given both in the, we have in the Apostles' Creed, but also all throughout Scripture. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When he's talking about the gifting, he flips it here and he flips it in 1 Corinthians 12. We have been given by the Spirit these gifts. And he says there uh, in verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This means God is over everything. God also works through you. And God is also in you. I mean, there is no stone left unturned. So the church is then to demonstrate this oneness. 
The first six verses, as the hinge turns in Ephesians, is talking about unity. It's not lost on me that after he just unpacks the nature of the multi-ethnic church, he now talks about unity. Why? I have learned this in the Western church. You know, ethnic groups usually come with a theological perspective. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people from all cultures uh, and they, they come with a paradigm theologically of what they believe about all sorts of things. And I have my own culture I bring to my theology. And in this church, we have a lot of different perspectives. People come with a denominational perspective. I come from the charismatic church, or I come from the, the Catholic church, or I come from a Baptist church. There are political perspectives. I've learned in the Western church, there's almost an understood political party that a church ascribes to be part of that congregation. It's not usually stated and put over the door. You just find out about it in their small groups because that's all they talk about. There's a sociological perspective, how people should live, what they should eat, what holidays they celebrate. I mean, we have different happy birthday songs, right, based on our culture. So demonstrating oneness then is a necessity in the midst of this diversity if we're going to be a countercultural body. In our cultural moment right now, I believe political polarization is worse than it has ever been. Jennifer McCoy in The Atlantic said, no established democracy in recent history has been as deeply polarized as the United States. And she said, I am very pessimistic. And the reason I bring it up and we bring it up here frequently at Providence is this cannot get into this church. We must bar the door from this, this type of political uh, encapturization of the church. The fastest growing evangelical church in our city during the pandemic went all in on the vaccine, all in against public health orders, and they boomed. They now have an identity. This is who we are. Providence will never be that. That is not the path to diversity. That is the path to further polarizing the church. So it's, it's the number one attack on the church right now. So we're going to continue to address it. We are going to fight, actually, for political diversity in the congregation as opposed to political uniformity. In the cultural moment, uh, also, just personally, the pandemic, I believe, gave us accelerated tools in culture to become more consumeristic and more individualistic. We're talking a lot about remote work. Our streaming services are manifold. We can have everything possible delivered right to our house, and we can even do it with church. The biggest explosion of pastoral calling right now are digital church pastors. God forbid. I don't know how you can live out Ephesians in a digital church. And you might just call me a techno dinosaur, but I actually believe transformation is not going to happen over the web, in the body, the way it's described here. We must bounce up against each other. Transformation is going to take place when we don't consume more, but we give more. And I, as a pastor, would rather die in the cause of fighting for community than cave to a society that's constantly pushing individualism and self-importance. I, I'm going to, I want to fight against that. I, I actually wonder if, if it can even be done in the American church because the forces of individualism are so strong and consumerism is such an animal. The only thing that's going to change it is the power of God living through the church. So the good news is in our cultural environment, we actually have an opportunity to be radically countercultural. 
gathering together, gathering in small groups, celebrating diversity, tolerating a wide variety of beliefs in one place. This is our opportunity. Then he says this, exercise your gifting in the body. That's verses 7 through 16. Exercise your gifting in the body. How do we do that? Okay, how did you get the gift? Who got the gift? What is the gift? And why did you get the gift? So first of all, it says there in verse seven that God is actually the one who gave you the gift. It says, Christ gave it to each one of us as Christ has apportioned it, all right? So you have been given a gift by God. And then it's this really wacky three verses. This is one of those verses I'm like, Paul, what were you on when you wrote this? This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. I read that when I was, got this text handed to me and I was like, oh my goodness, I bet you I'm going to read two books and 15 articles to figure out what he's talking about here and how that even relates to what he's talking about with the gifts. The big controversy in 8 through 10 is basically saying, what does it mean that Christ descended? Is this hearkening to the Peter passage where it talks about Christ went to hell? What is it talking about here? We do know the flow, if you unpack it, it's saying Christ descended, then as he ascended, he took captives and he gave gifts and filled the earth. I actually believe, and I don't have time to totally unpack it, that when it says he descended to the lower parts of the earth, he's not talking about hell. He's not talking about this mysterious place. He's simply talking about he descended from heaven to earth and was born in Nazareth. He was, he was born as an obscure individual, and you can't get much lower than Nazareth. None of us have really lived the life of Jesus in this way. I mean, I have... I have been poor. My, my house got foreclosed on when I was a kid, and we uh, didn't have the food and clothes that everybody else had. But I've never been Nazareth poor. And, and actually, I've been, I've ascended. I mean, physically, I've been on an airplane at 35,000 feet, but I, I ain't never been to the moon, I'll tell you that. I mean, if you're talking about power, you know, I have actually been to the White House. I've been to the Oval Office, got a tour of it. Um, you know, we'd say the Oval Office houses the most powerful person in the world, and I stood right at the door. And I remember we got the speech. When you're there, you can't take pictures, you can't do anything, you just have to be there and respect, and there's secret service agents there with, with weapons, you know, next to the doors. And, and I sat there and looked at it, and I was actually, I was home the next week, and my wife asked me to work on her phone, and she was looking for a picture, and I I scrolled, and actually there was a video of the Oval Office on her phone. And I, I clicked on it, and sure enough, it's a beautiful panoramic shot of the entire Oval Office. And I'm like, babe, what did you do? <laughs> like, <laughs> we were specifically instructed we couldn't do anything. She says, I must have bumped the button in my purse. I said, that's not a purse video, honey. That, that ain't doing it, you know? She goes, I swear, Jason, I did not take a video of that in... in and I brought my kids around. I was like, guys, what is this? And my son's like, Dad, I'm not going to the Oval Office. I'm not going to get a video of it. So he had taken an entire video in front of Secret Service and got out of there. But you know what? The Oval Office is so unimpressive. It's a round room with really ugly curtains. Our Lord 
our Lord went to the depths of poverty into the heights of the heaven. He's actually quoting here Psalm 68, where it gives a picture of our conquering Lord. And in the Old Testament, this imagery is of when a king would go to battle and they would conquer the enemy, they would take all the spoils from war, everything that they could take, and then they would go give gifts to their friends and distribute it to people. It was the spoils of war. And what Paul is saying here is, this God who gave you gifts, this king of the universe descended to, the, to, to, the, to, a, to a stable and was born in abject poverty. He has gone to the lowest parts of the earth. And then he went to the cross. He took the most ignominious death you could ever experience. And he died on that cross. But then he ascended. And he conquered the enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And what spoils are left? He didn't go down to Satan, sin, and death and say, I'm going to take all the spoils here. He wanted none of that. He basically ascended and said, I'm going to give my church gifts. And he ascended to the heights, this is higher than the heavens, and he filled the earth with these gifts, and he's done it unto you. This is, this is like nobody else in the history of the world has ever done. That's how he did it. And who did he do it to? Who got the gift? Most people believe that the gifts he talks about here are for church leadership. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are gifts for leadership. But he says there in verse 7, it is given to each one of us. This is written to the entire church of Ephesus. That means every single person was given a gift by the risen Lord. And that means you have been given a gift by the risen Lord. And it's a unique gift to you. So you are gifted. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are gifted. Turn to the other neighbor and say, you are gifted. Now turn to him and say, you have a gifted body. <laughs> Some of you have been waiting your whole life to hear those words, okay? You really do have a gifted body. You have a church of gifted people who are all here together and, and you got the gift. It's not just the pastors and the teachers and, and the people with, that are out there witnessing for Christ that got the gifts. You got it. What are the gifts? He unpacks those there in the passage and I'll briefly unpack them for you. We have first the apostle. Uh, I, there, there's a whole website just around this verse. And I studied and worked uh, in it a lot this week. What is the core vocation of the apostle? They're the custodian of the DNA. They're pioneers. They're entrepreneurs and architects. Their chief concern as anything happens in the church is, will this help us increase our capacity for mission? Their blind spot, they can be very domineering, dominant people. Okay? Anybody come to your mind in our church, you say, this person, I would think, has the gift of apostleship. Anybody? So we have a gifted body. We just don't know who's got the gifts. Either that or we're really bankrupt on apostle. <laughs> Someone finally said it. Carolyn Anderson, you. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to say Jason's dominant, but everybody knows it, right? So <laughs> let's just get it out, all right? Uh, yes, I am an apostle. 
Um, that, that is my gift, okay? Uh, anybody else you think of that has that? Kyle Kinsinger. Jamima? Who's that? Oh, caring for us. But I'm asking who. Do you know who would be an apostle? Somebody says Juan Pena is an apostle. Anybody agree with that? Juan's an apostle. Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. Prophet. Their core vocation is the guardian of the covenant. They're a questioner of the status quo. Their concern is, will this help us embody God's concerns? Their blind spot is they can be a little disrespectful, right? Because they have figured it out, and they know where the church needs to go. This is a gift, and the church needs prophets. Anybody, any prophets come to mind? You're all so hesitant. I shouldn't have put the blind spot up there. John Hyde. Anybody agree John Hyde is a prophet? Oh, Hudson's snapping, okay. Anybody else? There's a sense in which prophecy is part of proclaiming the word of God. This is actually talking about the gifting of prophet, which means actually anybody can have it. We've got to have more prophets than just John. <laughs> anybody think that they might be a prophet? Raise your hand. You're always looking at it and going, you know what? It should, it should, it should go this way instead of that way. Katie Larson? Rahil, you think you might be a prophet? Okay. <laughs> Third one, evangelist. They're a connector to the cause, a recruiter, an entrepreneur. Will this help us bring people to the point of conversion or bring people onto the mission of Jesus? They're always looking for the new person, right? They're blind spot. They can be a little driven. Who, who in our midst is an evangelist? Hunter Hambrick is an evangelist. Will Cruz. Karen Genzink. Osvaldo? Joaquin? Rahil? Rahil, you got two gifts. Marcel, you're an evangelist. Okay. Gene Johnson. We got a lot of evangelists in our church. We need more prophets and apostles. John and I are lonely. Um, shepherd or pastor. Now, I just want to say something here. There is such a thing as a pastoral office. You can go into Timothy and find the pastoral office. This is actually talking about pastoring as a gift. This is not just people who are called pastors. These are people who are nurturers, humanizers, sustainers, social integrators. Their concern is how is it going to affect the people in the church? They might come to the Constitution meeting tonight and just make sure no one's getting their feelings hurt, right? And that everybody's heard. Their blind spot is they can be drowning. That means they take on so many issues with church people and listen to so many problems, they get overwhelmed because it's too much for them. Who do we think in our congregation has the gift of pastor? Ray and Patty Brim. Roxy. Antoinette. Antoinette, is that you? That's Antoinette for sure. Anybody else? Sarah Root. I mean, she's just like the warm cinnamon roll, right? Like, just feel it. Josh? Josh would really take that as a huge compliment. Anybody else? Joseph. Joseph. Anybody been pastored by Joseph? How many have been pastored by Patty? Okay, yeah. All right, so, and then we have teacher, the mediator of wisdom and understanding. They're a trainer, educator. 
theological formation. How will this line up with theology and scripture? Their blind spot is they can be fairly dogmatic. This is what the word of the Lord said, right? Any teachers in our midst? Alvaro. Uh, definitely Alvaro. <laughs> Sherry Hughes. You agree with that, Sherry? Yeah. <laughs> Juan, Josh. Jen is a teacher, for sure. Matt Champlin. Look at that, Matt. You've been back for four weeks and we got you pegged. I would say that's true of what I know of Matt. Would you agree, Bethany? Okay. All right, so you should actually be meditating then on like, what about you, right? What is, what is your gift? Um, there, are, there is a test on this that we'll make available to you at the end of the, the message today. I'll give you a QR code and you can kind of take the test. The test is $10, but we will reimburse anybody who doesn't have the money to take the test, but I would love you to take it. Uh, you know, people ask me about these tests a lot, um, and we, you know, I've taken Myers-Briggs, the Love Languages, Enneagrams, Spiritual Gift Tests, Culture Index, Strengths Finder. You know, I've probably taken 10 different tests like this. This test is actually designed by uh, people in the church who said this is a way for you to kind of like tell maybe a, a little voice into saying what your gift might be. Let me just say, none of these gifts are perfect. I always look at them as like they're about 75% accurate. Uh, we always, when we take them, we probably have a manner, a little bit of self-deception in us. It's always helpful to have other people take the test uh, for you, uh, looking into your life and what they see. Uh, and then some people think, like, this is just a graduated personality test. I'm not denying that personality might have something to do with whether you're one of these five in, in the gift set. I do think Paul was a leader. Uh, and probably an Enneagram 8 before he got saved, and he probably is a leader in an Enneagram 8 after he got saved, and he probably is a prophet evangelist, right? He, but, but when he got saved, right, the Spirit anointed him with a gifting for the church with how he was originally wired. So I think it's a both and in how you go about it. So now, now this, is, this, is why, this is why I say the digital church can't really work. Because what Paul's saying here is all of us have one of those five gifts and all of us should be using them on a regular basis within the body, Amen. right? Amen. So, so church is not an event you come to to hear a sermon from a teacher or a prophet. Church is a body of people that works like a body together, moving on mission together. Amen. So this assumes the very foundation of the church is relational connection. Church is not something you attend. You attend a meeting of the church. It is a body of people connected to each other on the mission of Jesus. And why? Why did he do this? Oh, by the way, this is my test. So on the left is the test that I took, putting me with apostle as my number one gift and shepherding as my lowest gift. <laughs> So uh, this is not a surprise to many of you, okay? Um, I hate marriage counseling as a pastor. You know why? Because by the time your marriage is jacked up and you come to me, it is one step away from divorce. People never come to me and say, my husband and I, we fought last week. Can you counsel us? I never get that advantage. It is already threatened. Threatenings have already occurred, right? I don't have the patience because I'll sit in the room and... And the wife's like, he's just being a jerk. And I just looked at him and I go, stop it. 
Okay? We got it? All right. We don't need to make this long, you know? But, but, but shepherds go, I can't wait to spend the next two years, every three weeks, and watch this man take two step baby steps forward and one baby step back. And we celebrate this and 75% of those marriages end in divorce. But man, I'm so thrilled that one out of four actually make it. There are people that geek out about that. I don't. I can really crank out a marriage seminar with great speakers and I can fill the room and, and say, God bless, we had three days, we're all going to have great marriages. And I can be self-deceived on that. But like, that's what an apostle does, right? It's not what a shepherd does. Katie took the test for me. I said, Katie, we've worked together almost every day for 15 years. You tell me what I am. And she basically said basically the same thing. Evangelism and prophecy are kind of switched. But by and large, uh, we, we see each other in the same way. She comes out really high on shepherding. Why do her and I work well together? Right? Because I kind of create the vision and she kind of like puts it together and makes sure people are cared for uh, on the back end. So how did you get it? You got it from Christ, the ascended Christ. Who got it? Everybody in the church. What is it? It's one of the five gifts. And why did you get it? Why did you get it? He says in verses 12 through 13, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's to get us moving on mission together. You know, you often hear that there's 20% of the people that do 80% of the work. Part of the ethos of providence from day one is we wanted to blow that idea out of the water. If you're going to be a covenant partner here, you're saying, I'm covenant to do all three of those things on the wall, loving God together, our church family together, and our neighbor together. Because when we can do that, a small group of people can make a huge impact uh, in the world. So it is incumbent upon you to exercise your gifting to serve others. I would encourage you in community group, take the test, talk about it. Community group leaders have, have one of those five gifts, but you may not be the most shepherding type of community group leader. Find out who the shepherd is and let them do the care piece in, in CG. Who is the teacher in the, in the community group? That maybe give that person the, the way to set out the curriculum for the next year. They would love that. They're, that's what they're gifted to do. And then he says, why? Because then it'll lead us to unity and to maturity. And then he says this, on the, so on the positive side, this makes us a full and mature body. And it protects us, he says, from being infants tossed to and fro. This is hitting the church as hard as consumerism is. If you want to Google it and learn about it, it's, it's the deconstruction movement. Especially young people are leaving the faith, and they're, they're saying they're going through a process of deconstruction, which is often leading to deconversion. But they're no longer part of the faith. We all have friends that have gone through this process. I want to encourage you, probably anybody who's been part of the faith in America over the last 30 to 50 years probably needs to go through a detoxing process. What is Christ really all about? What does the gospel really say? What are the essentials? But hopefully not leading to a process of deconversion. Kerry Newhoff says in his article around this issue um, that uh, I'm going to just go to his five reasons young people are deconstructing their faith. It says, first of all, trust in large institutions is declining all across the board. Government, it has lost the faith of the American people. Business, we have a bigger gap between the rich and the poor than we've ever had. And now we see business scandal uh, all over. The media, we now have fake news. We can't trust 
what we see. And then the church, we have scandal. We have the Me Too movement even inside the church and the, the lack of reckoning there. 24% of millennials now, only one out of four say that pastors are honest and trustworthy. One out of 10 have left the church because they said sexual misconduct was not handled seriously enough. We have lost the idea of a working, credible body that is gentle, humble, patient, and bearing with one another. Church, basically the millennials are saying church has become an organization. But church ought to be an organism. It's a body working together. Secondly, we live in a more diverse, accessible, and mobile world. For the better part of world history, he says in the article, most people didn't have to worry about having their faith tested by an alternative truth claim. You lived and died within the religious system you were born into. But now we travel the world. Now we get on our laptops, and we're always encountered with beliefs that are different than ours. So to stay, you must learn how to stay rooted and grounded in biblical beliefs and values, and also learn to be somewhat pluralistic and accepting of all people to be a Christian in today's world. You have to learn to be comfortable and calm in the midst of differing opinions and beliefs. The third one, said, he said, high-performing Christians are simply burning out. We had the advent of the celebrity pastor. That thing is crashing. 38% of pastors have, have considered quitting in the last year. It's almost like every three months, a high-profile worship leader or Christian teacher deconverts, and, and we're learning that there really was no true spirituality undergirding all of this activity. Number four, the acceptance of political idolatry and conspiracy theories in Christian communities. One out of four Protestants last year said they believed in QAnon. We let that kind of junk move into our belief system. Amy Peterson, where goodness still grows, says, people in my generation aren't leaving the church because their devious atheist professors got to them, but because they saw a church more interested in defending political power than in loving their neighbors. And that's an indictment on the church. And then five, he says, the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity. Bonnie Kirstein says in A Flexible Faith, we can get so stuck in our own little pool that we never notice the stream of orthodoxy is wide and deep and beautiful. And without realizing it, we become convinced our own tradition of Christianity is the one Christian alternative to non-belief. What is the answer to all of these? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in a unified body working together on mission together. We can, we can address every single one of those issues if the church is actually using these gifts. And this is probably a description of the cancer of just allowing church to be an event that I attend on a weekend versus a body that I, that I move with. And the Bible then says this, each member joined and held together grows in love. It's like ligaments in the body. We are connected to one another. Amen. I have here my little x-ray that I took last week. Up here on the top where it says ATV, I broke those two hand bones when I flipped an ATV over on the top of me. On the right hand lower side, you'll see when I went mountain biking and, and didn't put my weight too far back on the seat and hit a, a pothole and broke my wrist. And number two over the left is the one I just broke last Saturday. And on Tuesday, I'm going to go in for a CAT scan because although they casted my wrist, they said, we're concerned about this right here. And I said, well, there's nothing there. And like, oh, no, that's ligaments. We have to do a CAT scan to see if those are damaged because if those are damaged, you're going to have to have surgery or that thing will never heal right. These little unseen strands of tissue 
could be damaged and they, they need to be repaired. And I sat there and I thought, I want my wrist to work well for the rest of my life. And so, so it needs the ligaments to make it work together. This beautiful picture has begun to develop in my mind of like, what happens if 150 people knew their gift and then deployed it with each other? How powerful could that be in communities? Leaders with gifts are spending most of their time then thinking about the health of the body and not simply focused on their personal experience. And this gifted body displays God to the world for a flourishing life. At some point of life, you're going to have to realize consumeristic Christianity that you keep all to yourself is basically not going to amount to much in the world. You're going to go at it alone. But if you are called by God and resourced by God and you want to impact the world, you have to be part of something that's bigger than you. And take your gift that God's given you and use it however klutzy you might feel. You're in this body and we work out our gifts together. In closing, let me just tell you the joy I had this past week. Um, it was actually just Friday and Saturday. Hudson, will you put up that video? Uh, don't start it yet, but this was yesterday at the Cross Purpose Retreat. Um, you know, Cross Purpose now is, is, is reaching about 350 neighbors a year. Here you have John Hyde. Uh, sitting back there, our, our, our prophet. Uh, and Kim is being the dutiful soldier right behind him on the steps. And they're doing the scavenger hunt from yesterday. Go ahead and play that video, Hood. America, America, God said his grace on thee. And I did not ask permission to use that video. I want you to know. <laughs> but here's Providence people just loving on a bunch of neighbors, playing dumb, silly games, making fun videos, making memories, telling life stories. And John and Kim, I know they will impact those neighbors in a deep way because they will love them. They'll bring me to their home if they don't have a place to stay. I go over to the uh, barbecue uh, and Jazz has started with nine other cross-purpose alumni a recovery program here on Friday nights called Live Different Recovery. There's now about 50 people in our community experiencing recovery every Friday night in the barbecues over that Nairobi Park. And then I see the back-to-school barbecue, and I see, you know, 150 to 200 people within six blocks just kind of loving on each other. I'm watching the body move using their giftings. So I don't say this message to beat you up, but more to say, let us keep working at perfecting this gifted body. If I go to the barbecue, I, as an apostle, I walk in and go, wow, this is great. We could probably make this better next year, bigger. You know, we could probably reach more people next year, right? I'm always thinking of the new territory. The prophet is sitting over there telling somebody in Live Different Recovery how they got free from drug and alcohol use uh, and how, how they, they, they just did these four things and, and life turned around. The evangelists were out there saying, I haven't met you yet. I'd like to meet you. I'd like to introduce you to some people. The shepherds sat in the same chair the entire barbecue and probably just poured into somebody for over an hour and impacted their life. The teacher was like, there's got to be a new way to cook ribs, you know? Uh, and I can teach more people how to do this, right? All the gifts working together. You have a gifted body. Why don't you say that together with me? I have a gifted body. Say it. This is your church. 
This is your church. This is your body. And you know what we get to do when we do this is we image our risen Christ. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this church. I love this body of believers and the journey that we've been on. Lord, I just want to ask especially today for the grace to take away the fear that anybody in this room might feel in exercising their gifts and also, Lord, the encouragement to step out of their shell, to, to maybe take the test or talk to people that know them, find out what gift they have and how they could possibly use it for the betterment of your kingdom. So just give us that grace as we leave here today. We ask this in your name. Amen.